Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This. Check out www.nowhearthis.biz. Be sure to sign up for the email newsletter there, which is quick and easy. All that's required is an email address. We are coming to you from Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out on the web at www.cbpro, as in Crystal Blue Productions, cbpro.net. Be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. We are thrilled to now be on both iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Lots of great guests on Now Hear This Entertainment, or as I've come to call it, NHTE. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from up north, as in Kincardine, Ontario in Canada, my guest today brings a whole new perspective to the podcast, coming on to talk from a radio point of view. He is currently the sports director on the MyFM radio network, which covers the Lake Huron shoreline. If you were to go to a Toronto Rock National Lacrosse League game at the Air Canada Centre, you would hear his voice throughout the arena as the team's official PA announcer. For more than 20 years, he was part of a morning show, and he has an awesome first name. Please welcome my good friend, Bruce Barker. Well, hey, Bruce. How you doing, buddy? Fantastic. Yourself? Well, you know what? Looking forward to talking with you. This is going to be fun today. Thank you, indeed. Uh, so, as I just mentioned, you're checking in today from Kincardine. Now, directly across Lake Huron, you'll hit Bay City, Michigan, which is famous for... The uh, the infamous dart in the board where the Bay City Rollers got their name. They took a map of the U.S., they threw a dart into that map, ended up in Bay City, Michigan, and that's uh, where the Rollers started back in 1972. No kidding, no kidding. I, I, I mean, I, I was waiting for you to say the Bay City Rollers, but I didn't know the the dart in the board a- aspect. Oh, I, to- I told you, I've got some secrets that are going to come out today. <laughs> so, uh, Bruce, you started off uh, in radio doing sports, but as I mentioned in the intro, for more than twenty years, you were part of a morning show. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the overwhelming majority of that was in the music mecca of Toronto. Correct. Absolutely, yeah. Most of it, uh, I'd say 80% Toronto and uh, 10% Calgary out west and 10% here on the shore of Lake Huron because I've been here for this is my third year out here. But yeah, started off strictly as a sportscaster and then back in 1988, the trend changed that you're, you know, already cutbacks were happening so you couldn't just be a sports guy. You had to be a part of the morning team as well as sports as well as being a music guy. So I tied in the best of both worlds and... Uh, parlayed both into a pretty darn good career awesome and of course uh the toronto area is home to my all-time favorite band and your good friends rush yeah i'll tell you what i was i'm gonna send you an email later i found a ticket stub for when rush played one of our high school dances back in 78 79 wow uh, and I say and they were they were, our lo- they were our local band. They were the band that would play at the coffee houses. They were the band that you know they were just, they were just starting out. And uh, yeah, they're uh, they're from my neighborhood, which is kind of cool. Now, when you're talking coffee houses, are you are you talking about uh, Getty, Alex, and John Rutsey, or or even pre that I'm, configuration? No, I, I'm talking I'm talking Getty, Alex, and John Rutsey as Rush would play. It was called the Open Door Coffee House. It was in the basement of a church. Wow. 
And and I tell you, you know, you're 14, 15 years old. Of course, it was a coffee house. It wasn't a, it wasn't licensed. So you'd go see, you know, and then John, unfortunately, John passed away a couple of years ago. And uh, he was the original. He was kind of like the lost member because Neil got more of the accolades once he took over for John. Because John never wanted to tour. And, you know, tough when you're in a rock band, you're not going to stay at home. <laughs> That's for sure. But, of course, Neil is still the new guy. <laughs> uh, they still call him that to this day. I think, you know, it's, what, pushing 40 years for Neil now, but he's still, he's still the new guy on the block. <laughs> and uh, you have um, e- even more stories about them, more connections to them. Tell the listeners about uh, those darn fish. Okay, well, yeah. If you go to the Holds Your Fire I always still call them albums. I know they come out as CDs or downloads (laughs) these days, but if you look at the liner notes, uh, you will take a look. You'll save those darn fish. And we had a a baseball team, and it was a mixture of radio guys in Toronto with Getty and Alex and a couple of people from Anthem Records there and their management company, as well as um, Jake Gold, who went on to become the manager of a band called The Tragically Hip. You may have heard of them. Absolutely. Yep. And we had a blast. So the funny thing was, we're playing in a residential softball league, and you'd see a guy, you know, Getty and Alex would play ball, and then, the, and then after the game, you'd see guys go to their car and bring out their All the World's a Stage albums, or their <laughs> Fly By Night albums, and, you know, you tagged them out in the fourth inning, but now you're getting them to sign your, you know, your, your, your gold vinyl copy. You know, and we had a lot, we, we did it for two years, and just, it was just hilarious, because, you know, here's, yeah, they're local guys to us, but to the other team, it's like, oh my God, I'm playing against you know the guitarist and the bass player in Rush. Yeah, and and uh, the the best one ever. And of course, I met you in Buffalo, New York, because it was because of you I've actually got I've got my national across league career because you got me to my <laughs> first ever game with the Bandits and the Philadelphia Wings. Yep, and I remember we had a those darn fish end of year party at the old Memorial auditorium in Buffalo rush were playing mm. and we had our own special backstage passes and we sat on the side where, you know, and then during uh, in the mood, which was one of their encore songs, Alex was, you know, hitting imaginary baseballs up to us using his <laughs> guitar. And I'm sure everybody in that arena in Buffalo that night are going, okay, who are all these guys at these? And we're talking, you know, like early eighties, these red satin, those darn fish warm-up jackets, like oh the old boy. starter jacket. Yeah. Okay. You know, we should have come right from the roller disco, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and we had, and there was a backstage thing, and they had, you know, the famous buffalo wings and beef on whack for everybody. And it was just, it was just great. And of course, you know, two years, you know, after two years, it was kind of like Rush was even getting more popular, so they weren't spending summers back in Toronto and. The team kind of folded, but it was great for two years to have, you know, have a really kind of really cool ball team. Yeah, and I imagine that the fans were probably wondering, why does Alex look like he's mimicking a baseball player when there's no... Yeah, there's no fungos. Yeah. fungos with a Les Paul. Yeah, and, and, there's, and there's no Major League Baseball team in Buffalo, so we're confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that, you know, that's what I mean. So, uh, no, again, those were two great years. And, and again, um, a really good couple of friends of mine who were with uh, the Rock Station Toronto Q107, John Derringer and Andy Frost, they were on the team. And it was great because it was just a, just a bunch of guys. But because one of our players on our team was also the visiting clubhouse manager for the Toronto Blue Jays, I'll tell you, Bruce, without a word of a lie, we may have been half rock stars, half media, but we were impeccably dressed. We had a <laughs> Nike shoe deal. We had our own wristband. Wow. We had our own wow. batting gloves. 
you know, back then it was called styling and profiling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's a that's a good example of the convergence of sports and entertainment. For so many years now, those two words have been so commonly said in tandem with one with one another. And, and actually, at some point, I'd I'd even love to have on the podcast an athlete or two that does music. Um, you have always been the guy that took the athletes to meet the rock stars. Yeah, I, I was actually, I call myself the conduit because it was, uh, one of the first was Dave Steed, the pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays in the late 70s and 80s. Uh, he wanted to meet David Lee Roth. So I go to the record company, at that time it was Warner Music Canada, and Herb Forge, who was my rep along with Kevin Shea, arranged for Roth was coming to town, and next thing you know, here I am with Dave Steve at the concert with these record guys. And next thing you know, we're hanging out in what was called Club Dave, which was the backstage area. <laughs> and I'll tell you, like, back then, that was in the, you know, if you've read any of his books or heard any of his stories, this wasn't the Brown M&M era. This was like, um, you know, I was waiting for a pole dance. Well, wait a minute. Set the record straight. Was this on a Van Halen tour or was this solo, Dave? This was on the Eat em and Smile David Lee Roth tour. Okay, and, and this was uh, Maple Leaf Gardens, perhaps? Maple Leaf, yeah, Maple Leaf Gardens, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and again, and that was the first one. And then locally, because Dave was a guitar player, I hooked him up with, with Getty. And I still remember to this day sitting in Dave's spring training home in Palm Harbor, Florida, because, of course, the Jays trained in Dunedin. There was Dave on, on guitar. Getty was playing bass. And Patty Steed, Dave's wife at the time, was on the drums. <laughs> and you can see a picture of that in Dave Steed's book called Tomorrow I'll Be Perfect. Wow. And and we're sitting there with these two guys, and it was uh, Peter Mensch and Cliff Bernstein, who at the time, they, they have a they had a, a, a management company called Q Prime. And they were talking about this new band they discovered called Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting there, oh, yeah, yeah, and they were telling us about this British band they just signed there called Def Leppard. Mm. And, you know, I'm sitting there, wow. you know, and these are guys, and we're sitting in Dave Steve's living room. <laughs> and every spring training after that, and if you look through the history books, Rush would always schedule some of their March tour always through Arizona and Florida so Getty could go to all the spring training camps. Wow, wow. He's that much of a baseball fan. And I remember, um, I'm trying to think of what year it was. All I remember is that I, w- I had to rent a van because we were all going from Dunedin down to back. I think it was called the Florida Suncoast Dome then, not Tropicana Field. Mm-hmm. And Rush was there, and believe it or not, the Hooters opened for them. And we oh, went oh, down the to band. the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The band. yeah. Not the restaurant. Not yeah. That was in Clearwater, the restaurant. But, <laughs> um, I remember in my van was Dave Steve, Bill Buckner, Dwayne Ward, Mark Gubaza and Brett Saberhagen. Oh I thought gosh. if I roll this thing, I thought if I roll this van, there's 60 million in salary. <laughs> and we got to we got to the park, and everyone they had they had backstage passes, all had just in silver marker ball written on them. And Getty had uh, like a few, and there was other players there. There was like I bet you there were 50 major leaguers. Wow! At this at this concert, and Getty comes in to the meet and greet area with two roadies. Each roadie has a, an open box of Rawlings game baseball blank, and Kenny's getting all the guys to sign them. <laughs> and I just remember that the last time in Dunedin that Kenny came over to Steve's house, Dave gave him one of his Labatt Blue Jay Player of the Year awards. And Getty gave him a steel blue Rickenbacker 4001 base. Oh, gosh. 
and one it, of the ones that Getty one's the one of the ones that Getty played on stage. And I, to this day, I'm going, oh, that was so cool. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say, you know, for Getty to be breaking out a, a box of baseballs, it's supposed to be the other way around. He's he's supposed to be the one with the sharpie in hand, going, all right, what does everybody want me to sign? Yeah, and now and and then the best one yet for that one was. And this is once again with Dave Steve because we we hung around together for about twelve years. We were in New York and the and the Jays were playing the Yankees. So afterwards, Getty was there. To, Rush was actually playing the Meadowlands the next night. So we all went out for dinner after the game. We're at this I don't even remember the restaurant in Midtown Manhattan. But this kid starts coming over to the table, and here's Dave Steve going. Uh, and the guy goes. Getty, can I get your autograph? He didn't even know who Dave Steve was. He was a huge Rush fan. Couldn't believe that wow. Getty Lee was in this restaurant. <laughs> and, I looked, and I looked at Dave and I said, how low do you feel now, son? <laughs> and, and by the way, for the listeners that are maybe too young to remember uh, or, or just flat out you know, weren't Blue Jays fans, uh, Dave Steve, I, I don't know if there is such a thing as a Blue Jays Hall of Fame, but if there is, I'm sure he's in it. I mean, he was, he was oh, he's Mr. On the, Blue. He's on what's called the... He's on the level of excellence at uh, the former Sky Dome called the Rogers Center. Um, they yeah, don't he, retire numbers. They don't retire numbers in Toronto, but he's oh. on that level of excellence. So. Yeah, he was Mr. Blue Jay for for years. Oh yeah, but yeah. Uh, and you again, know, there, and a huge rock fan. So. And and then there were a couple other guys um, as as in your in your role as the conduit. There were a couple other uh, other other people that I have in mind that I know that you helped get a Blue Jays jersey. Oh yeah. Robert Plant and Billy Joel. Do any any listeners out there know those names? Uh, Robert Plant was hilarious because being English, he really didn't know what baseball was, but he liked the jersey. He thought it was so cool. No kidding. Uh, Billy Joel, of course, grew up a Mets fan because he was the last performer ever to play at Shea Stadium. And he looked at it and goes, well, I really appreciate this, guys. And the best one yet was Gene Simmons (laughs) because I've seen Kiss about 400 times, but I am a huge Kiss fan. And we're backstage at one of the shows, and Gene looks at it with his typical Gene attitude and goes, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> so I felt like saying, sign it, I'll take it back from you. But, but that was the way you got in. You know, Back then, that was the way. Like The player said, you know, I want to do this. Like, and ironically, on the flip side, George Brett wanted to meet WWF wrestlers. He was a huge wrestling fan back then. Interesting. So, and so when they're coming through Toronto, you know, I was the guy in Toronto, which was kind of a, and again, and I got the benefit. You know, I got the benefits of both sides. Sure, sure. I am Bruce Wozniak, and joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Ontario, Canada, is longtime radio man Bruce Barker, who is currently the sports director of the My FM Radio Network. Be sure that you're checking out www.nowhearthis.biz, that's H-E-A-R, and sign up for the e-newsletter there and subscribe to this podcast. Feel free to use the social media buttons there on nowhearthis.biz to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and or become a Twitter follower. Bruce, we have still got uh, lots more fun stuff to talk about, but let's do a little business here first because we've got up-and-comers who are listening to this podcast, aspiring artists who are hoping you're going to give them some secrets so their music can start getting airplay. Uh, So first of all, are radio stations throwing unsolicited CDs that get dropped off or sent through the mail into a big no-man's-land pile that never get listened to, or or could artists, bands, still actually try giving that a shot? 
Well, I'll tell you what, it, it nowadays, and it's even shocking me, because this is my 30th year on the air in Canada, um, we don't even see a record rep anymore in the physical office that is the radio station. Wow. Everything now is done through download. Sure. And there's DM, DMDS, which is Digital Media Download Service, and if, you know, the latest song from Metallica, we don't even get the, the promo CD copy anymore. We wow. just go to the site that we subscribe to, and we download the song. And every song in our, you know, 10,000 song memory at the radio station is on a hard drive. There isn't a CD player, there isn't a, an old turntable in case it's the only thing you can find on vinyl. And we do get occasionally artists drop in a CD, but I'll say in the last two and a half years, it's about 3% now. It used to be they come in, God, you get stuff every week. As you say, you would get a pile. Now uh, they send out electronic press kits. People are so good with home computers you know, they'll send their stuff out directly to the station or to, and again, some of them are smart. Some of them do their homework. Yeah. And because if you go on the internet and you say, you know, Bruce Barker's the music director at my FM. Well, maybe I left five years ago and they haven't changed the site. I've seen stuff come in the mail to a, a person that hasn't worked for our company in nine years. <laughs> so that person just went online and said, who is the music director, you know, in a Google search and that person's been gone, and then if that shows up on a desk, it sits there because we don't have that person anymore. But again, but a lot of a lot of a lot of young artists now are doing their own little you know marketing campaign on their computer, and then sending that to the station management. But to but to me, it's still uh, it's still unsolicited. So are those emails going largely ignored because that's just not the way they do things in the radio world? It all depends on the format, Bruce. And the thing is, like, our stations, some of our stations have a show called Sessions, which is to highlight local talent. Uh. And I give our, our parent company credit for that one because, again, they, you know, that they will take someone who's got a CD or a CD single. And even a couple of them have come into our office and played live if they're in the area. Wow. On the, on the flip side, the big Toronto stations, unless you know somebody in the office and not just the receptionist, you're not going to get that listened to. But just for the record, though, American artists should not send their music to Canadian stations, right? Because I was once told by a record label executive in Canada that the stations up there can't take it. Uh, not unsigned or unsolicited. Act. Right, no, right. That, that something like the same as I'm sure it's the same as, you know, again, you know, I'm a huge fan of Western New York. If I'm a, a singer in St. Catharines or Fort Erie, Ontario, you know, I don't think I could take my song to 97 Rock in Buffalo and they'll right. pop it on because, again, you're taking the... And, and, and this is where a U.S. or Canadian Customs and Immigration comes in. Every time I go across, you know, they wonder why I'm going to a lacrosse game. And when you tell them you're the announcer for the Toronto Rock, well, how much are you getting paid to go to the game in Buffalo? I said, I'm not. I'm not working. I'm just going to it. I have a media pass. You know, they want to know if I'm taking a job from an American and if I'm going that side. And our people are saying, you know, well, you're an American. Are you taking money from our side right, because you're taking, right. taking a job a Canadian could have. Yep. And that's and that's the part, like, I used to love the fact we would get packages of the old 45s. Mm -hmm. and, they, and the record company would say, okay, this is, uh, and I'll tell you the mistake we made at one station I worked at, who will, I'll, the station will remain nameless because they're still on the air <laughs> in Ontario. But we were playing, if you remember the band Boston, they had a sure. huge song called More, More Than a Feeling. Sure. Well, the music director at our station Play, was playing the wrong side of the 45 oh, was playing gosh. let me take you home tonight <laughs> so he's going well it's not bad it's not bad and we flipped it over and I said uh, that, 
single. And it was hilarious because, you know, for a month, we were playing the wrong side. And, and, and that's the thing. But, you know, like, but I still see people like, and one thing, a lot of the younger ones, and I'm going to use the Canadian perspective again, a lot of them will find street festivals. And like, and you know, if you have to play for free just to get your name out there, get out there to these street festivals. They provide the staging. They provide you know everything. If you just a, a, you know if you're just an acoustic act with a guitar, a lot of the people have been discovered from some of these festivals. Okay, and 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 so just to put a, a slightly different approach to this, what about the bands? What about the artists who post on social media and or send out a, a newsletter to their followers, encouraging them to contact radio stations and ask for that artist, that band's music to be played? Are are radio stations going to give consideration to you know? Gee, we've been getting a lot of people calling up and emailing and telling us to play music by insert band or artist name here or, or are the stations annoyed by that and they're just flat out not going to act on those requests no matter how many there are well here's one of those untold secrets that i promise you off the top of the show that's coming up bruce a lot of stations now don't even do requests even for existing artists like you won't you won't get a call in saying i want to hear yellow submarine by the beatles yeah because of because of attrition and costs and everything a lot of shows are quote in the can or what we call them voice tracked, which means, and here's the inside scoop. If you hear a radio station and you hear an announcer on a show, maybe it's an evening show and you don't hear them tell you the time, the current temperature or the upcoming forecast that was recorded sometime (laughs) earlier that day. There you go, folks. You heard it here first on the now hear this entertainment podcast. See, and that's and then the reason I know that is because there have been stations. Uh, three years ago, when I first got here, we had a very devastating F three tornado that hit the town of Goddard, which is thirty five minutes south of me here, and it's destroyed. It destroyed one third of the town. Only one person lost their life, but it was very, very bad. Winds wow. were over two hundred and fifty miles an hour. Wow! And local station, our competition. Uh, we're doing a taped show that the, the DJ was, it's a beautiful night here in Goderich. And <laughs> half, the town's, half the town's smoldering in rubble. <laughs> so that's where you can get caught on that. And, and then their news line, of course, had all these people, how can you say it's a nice night? And that's the problem. So if you listen and the, and the, and the announcer says, you know, hey, it's Friday, it's 943, don't forget it, tomorrow it's going to snow, boom. You know they're live. Yeah, but if yeah. you just hear coming up, coming up next, Van Halen, Russian Kiss. Yep, it, it it's voice tracks, and a lot of stations do it to save money. So sorry to burst the bubble, but there you told me you told me to be you told me to give you some inside stuff on this, so I'm doing it. Well, sure, and and you know I do want to be helpful. Uh, to to that particular listening audience. Um, on episode three of this podcast, my guest was Shannon McGrain, who finished 11th on American Idol two years ago. In 2009, Adam Lambert was the runner-up on American Idol, and now, lo and behold, this year Queen is out on tour with Adam Lambert as their front man. Now, here's the thing with Adam Lambert. This tour with Queen... They've actually sold out two nights, 20,000 seats each at Toronto's Air Canada Centre, which shocked the living daylights out of me because fortunately, because I'm going to be 54 this year, Bruce, um, I have seen Freddie Mercury and Queen live in my life five times. Wow. And the first time I ever saw them, 1977 at Maple Leaf Gardens with Thin Lizzy opening when the boys are back in town was the big hit. Yep. So, 
But you know, I I didn't go see them when Paul Rogers was the lead singer because it just to me Paul Rogers was the lead singer of Bad Company. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm skeptical about this show. I'm thinking about going. <laughs> I'm still on the fence because who can replace Freddie Mercury as far as I'm concerned? Sure, sure. Were uh, were all five uh, Queen shows that you saw? Were those all at Maple Leaf Gardens? All of them are Maple Leaf Gardens. Uh, I can even tell you some of the old brothers. Well, that Finn Lizzie was the first one. That was the day at the races tour. Billy Squire opened for them on the Hot wow. Face tour. Wow. Uh, I got to see the Jazz tour, the End of the World, uh, or News of the World tour. And, you know, again, just a great live act. And the other thing, too, and here's another in case people haven't been looking, this lineup of Queen, uh, John Deacon, the original bass player, is he's retired. He's not on this tour. It's just Brian May. Uh, Roger Taylor on drums, Adam Lambert on vocals, and another bass player. So you're not you're seeing you know 50 percent of the original Queen. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment, where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is have a story to tell, build success identify highlights that imply momentum. You've got to give someone a reason to pick you over someone else, whether that's a venue booker or a media person or a publisher. Have a story to tell. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. On episode 12 of this podcast, my guest was Mark Allen Barnett, who has written almost 3,000 songs. We ended up mentioning the name Garth Brooks on that episode. Again, sports and entertainment collide. Who did you go see Garth Brooks with? Well, I went with uh, the legendary Toronto Maple Leaf forward Wendell Clark and noted tough guy of the NHL, Ty Domi. (laughs) And I have one great Garth Brooks story because this will tie into people that want to do marketing. Great. Um, Garth Brooks had a CD called Sevens. And he did a tour of Canada all in the same day. He started in Halifax. Yeah, yeah. He did one song in five cities, going from east to west with the time difference. And I'll give you another little story after this. But he did, so he played Halifax, Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg, Calgary, and Vancouver. He played at the airport and in a private hangar. And he'd he'd do a a Q&A. But what happened was, and again, this is where... If Garth Brooks ever ran for president, I would, and I was an American, I'd vote for him. <laughs> Everybody, because you notice everyone was given a wireless mic, and so because I'm a huge Kiss fan, and he modeled his stage show like a country version of a Kiss show with the flash bombs and with the you know with the bright lights and everything else. So uh-huh. I brought it up to him, and, he, and, he, and from the stage, he goes, "Didn't I meet you with the hockey guys?" Like, there's a great <laughs> memory right there. But I guess what every time when you said your name, so I was like, you know, back then I was at uh, Q107 Toronto, you know, Bruce Parker Q107. I guess somebody in the back was writing down all the names because as he went to the plane to fly to the next city, people from EMI Records came up to the people that asked the questions, the five or six media people that asked questions, gave us a white envelope. He opened up the envelope and there was a copy of the CD and it said, "To, to Bruce, God bless you, pal, Garth Brooks. Wow. So, so his people were behind there going, you know, well, Bruce has a question, and then, you know, because we'll find that team over there. And, you know, wow. And then I also heard with, when we were backstage with the hockey players, 
there were four or five women, you know, they had their t-shirts, they had their programs, and Garth looks at him and goes, you're not coming to my show and paying for that. He's peeling off, and we're talking in Toronto, so he's peeling off American $50 bills and gives each of these five women a $50 bill saying, I'm buying all your merch. Wow. Uh, you know the old commercial, you tell two friends, sure. they'll tell two friends. Sure. You know how much goodwill that says to, to him? That they're saying, you know, he bought my shirt, my hat, and my program? Yeah, and like you said, a great marketing strategy uh, for yeah. you know for the people to come up to those of you that ask questions and say, here you go, here's a copy of his CD. Yeah, and, and a signed copy of the CD. You know, and, that, and, yeah. and again, there's another thing, too, where they went across the whole country. I happened to do the same type of tour working for Molson Breweries in the summer, and it was Canada Day. You know, Independence Day for you guys is July the 4th. We're three days ahead of you. We have Canada Day on July the 1st. And we had a promotion called the Great Canadian Party, and we did the same thing. Mm. We flew from east to west, but I was on, I was on a private 737 as the on, on-flight host with the legendary band, get ready for it, Spinal Tap. Oh, boy. So we did this promotion oh. where we started in Kitty Bitty Park in St. John's, Newfoundland, did a show there, then went to Barrie, Ontario, where I you know had most of my career, and we played there, and then we ended up at UBC Stadium in Vancouver, mm. and it was the original Spinal Tap, and it was hilarious. We flew across the whole country. <laughs> um, I have the, I showed you how long ago it was. It was 92. I still have the VHS of the tour with me. <laughs> and just, to, you know, again, and back then, Harry Shearer, I did an interview with him, and he said, oh, I'm, I'm reading this new, for this new cartoon called The Simpsons. Hopefully it'll be a hit. Boy, oh boy, how about that? So there's another one, and there's the whole thing of marketing. Um, you know, Spinal Tap is a fictitious band, but they had the coolest thing, and I, I'm looking at it right now while I'm talking to you. You know the laminated backstage passes, right, yeah. first? Yeah, uh-huh. Well, they, they had one that said, you know, it's called Break Like the Wind Tour, but it had on it access no areas, and that's what <laughs> they gave us all. And all these people are walking around with, you know, these laminated passes. It doesn't access no areas on it. <laughs> you can't get and anywhere. they had the whole thing. They had the personalized guitar picks with, you know, David St. Hubbins and Nigel Tufnell and Derek Smalls on it and everything else. And again, there's marketing. There's a fictitious band who, you know, played to 70,000 people in Vancouver, British Columbia. Wow. Now, set the record straight. Was that Molson Canadian Summer Tour, was that uh, was was that a, a complete copy of what Garth Brooks did, or was it just a huge coincidence, or what? No, it was uh, it was before the Garth Brooks ring. It was about oh, five wow. years before the Garth, yeah. Wow. It was just the way, I mean, it was just the way where, where see, Garth was always at every airport, because he just literally did one song, jump back on the plane. This one was... Like uh, in the first show, it was uh, Kim Mitchell. It was John Candy was there shooting a movie, the late wow, John Candy. Wow. And so they did that. And then the next one was in Ottawa and the Tragically Hip were at that one. And Tom Cochran and Red Rider were at that one. Wow. And then when you're out west, you got the, the 5440s and the western bands like the Stampeders and, uh, you know, uh, Sweeney Todd and bands like that, Roxy Roller. So, yeah, it was, it was, again, I was up for 27 straight hours is what the time difference going from <laughs> oh, the Atlantic yeah. to the Pacific. Yeah. It was still July the 1st, <laughs> except... <laughs> Oh yeah, so again, and that's the thing too is you know the marketing now has has gone a lot different. I'm sure nowadays, like with you know we're talking about with you know the Blue Jay players or the hockey players, nowadays people pay to go to these meet and greets. They're paying a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars. You know, like you see some of the bands, 
you know, get a photo with kids. Uh, there, you know, there. I think it's thirteen hundred bucks plus a thousand for a seat in the first ten rows. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we we started all that by my bringing up uh, your going to uh, to the Garth Brooks concert with a couple of athletes, but you also have a yeah. story about taking your girlfriend to see the Eagles and getting a tap oh. on the shoulder at that concert. Yes, in our old stomping grounds of, uh, well, let's see, what's it called now? It's now the first Niagara Center. Back then it was the HSBC Arena in Buffalo. And uh, he's a huge Eagles fan. The Eagles were not coming to Toronto. Buffalo is only for people that don't know. It's about a 90-minute, two-hour drive from Toronto around the QEW, on what's called the Golden Horseshoe. So we're sitting there at the arena, and, you know, one thing about the Eagles, they're perfectionists. They, they even show a five-minute movie showing their sound guy computer tuning the arena to have a perfect like Don Henley could have dropped a pick on stage you would have heard it Bruce. that's how clear it was so I'm sitting there and, and, and you know we're with you know and I got tickets through the promoter and they were they, we called it the friends and family section because everyone had laminated passes with the whole set list on there as well so we're just about the show's wow. about to start I get, I get this tap on the shoulder and I look behind me it's then Sabres coach, Lindy Ruff, and he goes, how the blank can you get better seats in my arena? <laughs> and I'm like, well, um, I got them, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, he says, you're five rows ahead of me. And I said, well, I said, sir, I said, you know, I'm not going backstage. It was here. He goes, but it, it was funny because, you know, he couldn't believe that someone from Toronto got better seats in the building that he was coaching the hockey team. Good to see you, Lindy. Enjoy the concert. <laughs> yeah. By the way, last song, Desperado. Oops, sorry. <laughs> now the uh, now the coach of the Dallas Stars, I might add. Yes, that's right. Uh, again, again, and, and, it's, and it's the, the funny thing, too, is you'll see people at shows and there's some people you'll think, what are they doing at this show? You know, again, there's, I, I like music. It doesn't matter. I've been to, you know, I, I will admit, you know, back when my mom was alive, I was going to see Rick Astley. Oh, boy. And I've been, you know, and I've been to, and I've been, I've been to uh, Metallica shows, too. It's like, yeah. you know, but again, music is, it is fun. There's living, you know, I lived out in Alberta for eight years, so I worked at two country stations. And I will say this on the podcast, that if you're an aspiring country artist, stay there because you are the best people to do interviews with radio people. Mm, nice. Rock stars don't get up. Rock stars do not get up for a morning show. <laughs> you know, they, they're not, they're, you're going to have to come back to the office at 7 o'clock at night to get somebody and because of time zones or whatever. But any country artist like Terry Clark, a legend in country music, co-hosted my morning show in Brooks, Alberta. Wow. And she, she was unbelievable. And again, you get people like, you know, George Canyon, who was a national star, same thing, comes out and does a barn dance and goes back to take care of his horses. And, and again, that's the one thing I've always said about country artists. You ask them to come to an event, they'll come. Mm, outstanding. I am Bruce Wozniak, and joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Ontario, Canada, is longtime radio man Bruce Barker. He is currently the sports director of the My FM Radio Network. Be sure that you're checking out www.nowhearthis.biz, that's H-E-A-R, and sign up for the newsletter there and subscribe to this podcast. Feel free to use the social media buttons there as well to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and or become a Twitter follower. Bruce, in the States, we talk about people moving to Nashville, L.A., or New York to try to take their music career to the next level. Do people in Canada do that with Toronto? 
They actually are now doing it with Vancouver. Really? Uh, yeah, Bob Rock, who, of course, uh, famous for many Motley Crue albums as a producer, has a great studio out there. Uh, if you remember the band Triumph in sure, Toronto, sure. there's a great well, It's actually Mississauga, Ontario, suburb of Toronto. Um, Gil Moore, the drummer from Triumph, has a yeah. great studio that's won many awards called Metalworks. But it's funny, there's a Western-Eastern split. And it's funny because I have lived out West, and you don't tell people you're from Toronto when you live in Alberta. They just don't like people, and they call they, they think people from Toronto call it the center of the universe. So, you know, your ba- your bands out there will go to you know Winnipeg, where the Guess Who got their start. They'll go to well Regina or Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. That's where the you know the hottest band from Canada in the last couple of years has been the Sheepdogs, and they're from you know they're from uh, Saskatchewan, uh, where I lived in Alberta. The arena was revamped because the boys in Nickelback paid for the renovations for the arena, the, <laughs> the Hannah, arena, Hannah Alberta Arena. But you get a lot of people going to studios in Vancouver. Calgary's getting a little better. Calgary has more of the country artists, but you know Vancouver's got a very eclectic music scene, and uh, you don't get a bad winter in Vancouver. It rains. It doesn't snow. So, uh, but you know, Montreal per se is more club music, more techno because of the European influence of what Quebec has from France. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, who knows what the heck is going on with Van Halen these days? I did see them in concert here in Tampa two years ago when David Lee Roth was back with them, and of course, uh, Eddie Van Halen's son Wolfgang was on bass. But uh, yeah. I understand that you have a story about Sammy Hagar from the days when he was Van Halen's frontman. Well, you know what? Like the one thing that I, I I'm a huge Van Halen fan too. I'm a little mad at the current lineup because they were supposed to play an hour and a half south of me uh, two summers ago in London, Ontario, and that's uh, just before they had the massive blowout. And they I guess they canceled the last you know thirty five forty dates of the tour. Yeah. And unfortunately, it, you know again, check your ego at the door. And back to the Eagles for a quick sec. That show in Buffalo, they came in five separate cars, Bruce. Wow! On stage, wow. they created on, on stage they created magic, and I'm saying I just thought you know you know and I remember talking with well many Van Halen fans and suggesting they do a night you know a three hour show the first ninety minutes with Ross take a break and do a final ninety minutes with Hagar, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and and again like you know Sammy Sammy's the type of guy where he doesn't sugarcoat it. And I've been, I, I've had, well, I've had him on for two reasons. I've had him on for music, and I've had him on for his um, alcohol business. Yeah, yeah. You know, tequila and everything else. And, and one thing about Sammy is he's a heck of a promoter, too. And he is the type of guy that, the only time I ever got mad at him was one show at the Air Canada Center when I was still living at West. I flew in for it. And Eddie was very drunk and kept falling down on stage. And Sammy spent three songs just signing autographs while singing. Oh my which gosh. I thought was like, you know, like the people that have kind of a, a circular stage and there's kind of a pit. And he was signing for that. But no, I've always gotten along with Sammy. He's a, he knows that he's a good showman and he knows how to promote. Because trust me, uh, how many bottles of tequila has he sold over the last little while? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, we've talked on this podcast before about the need for uh, the up-and-comers to be rather versatile and, and just, you know, just obviously opens up the potential for more opportunities. But here's a guy 
you know that I don't I don't think I don't think it's too strong to call him a legend and yet Sammy is so good business wise that he does have that business but then he also has solo Sammy he also has chicken foot so you know this yeah. is a guy that doesn't just kind of sit there and go I'm doing one thing and I made my money so I'm just going to kind of I mean granted you know the guy likes to have fun and that's and that's awesome uh you know but he's not he's not dumb I mean Sammy's a good businessman and 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 there's proof right there so you know the bad news uh for the for the young listeners is that um you know the, the success uh may come um but but that's when you say okay i'm here now how do i make sure i stay here and and, and look at what sammy's doing you know keeping his name so prominent well again and, and people said to me too and this is you know again died in the wool kiss fan but not a fan of the show gene simmons family jewels didn't like the show after the first time i saw it and I tell people, I like Gene Simmons, the performer. I'm not a fan of Gene, the businessman. And that's and that's you know that's where you can do a, a disconnect between the guy you like on stage, you know, spitting fire and blood, and seeing God of Thunder. To the you know again, I'm I just you know it's it's I call it shameless self promotion. And I'm not a big reality TV guy. It's funny when you, we talked about Sammy, he was on that Restoration Garage the other night getting a rummerator made for, for his new bar rum. <laughs> and, you know, there's another level of cross-throwing going to, like, you know, like on the History Channel. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, you know, that is brilliant. You know, it, it, it sounds a little off the beaten path, but... Uh, you know, give the give the guy credit. Um, uh, Kid, Kid Rock, Kid Rock was on Diners, Drive-ins, and Dives. <laughs> well, you know, some of that too is is certainly uh, coming from the other side. You know, where a show uh, is thrilled at the prospect of of landing a big name and just kind of yep. looks for any remote connection they could find to say, "Aha, let's have Kid Rock." Aha, let's add, let's get Sammy Hagar, yep. and all of a sudden it adds instant credibility to the show. So, you know, as much yep. credit as as, you know, guys like Sammy do deserve and and we are giving, uh, you know, it's it's not entirely him <laughs> him or, or his business people calling up on the telephone, you know, really doing the hard sell to get him on. Oh yeah, and again, and that's the one thing I see at least you guys still have American Idol. They canceled Canadian Idol two years ago. For the reason of? Lack of viewers. Wow. And, and again, the, yeah, and, you know, again, of course, as my, my late father used to say, there are more people in New York State than there are in all of Canada. So <laughs> it shows you why the U.S. has a lot bigger population than us, and it can keep the show going for that. But just, we just, ours, you know, ours died a very sudden death. Wow, wow. Well, I'm I'm just waiting. You know, we're we're a good 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 ways. I mean, we're we're more into the home stretch of this podcast than we are, um, you know, getting some momentum under us. And I'm just waiting for you to talk more about Kiss because I know that you're big on Kiss. And I think I think the other day on Facebook, I even saw a Bruce Barker with Kiss photo. Oh yeah, there's been a few. There there's been a few, um, numerous times, and and the best one ever is uh, in Hamilton, Ontario. It was actually on a Good Friday in uh, 92. Uh, first time ever I got front row center. Cops Coliseum, I take it. Yeah, well, yeah. Now known as the first Ontario Center, another one of those <laughs> buildings that had a name change. And at the end, of course, Paul Stanley at the time was playing an Ibanez Destroyer as his stage guitar, and they do you know rock and roll all night at the end, and then and Black Diamond, and he smashes his guitar into two bits. Well, he threw the body of the guitar stage left. He threw the neck of the guitar stage right where I was. My friend Tina, 
who was with me at the show, she jumped up and blocked the guy next to me, and I caught the neck of Paul Stanley's wow. guitar. Wow. So then, of course, a year and a half, two years later, he's in Toronto playing the lead in Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> so the publicist for Phantom of the Opera, I called him, and I said, here's the deal. Yeah, sure, bring it down. He'll sign it. No kidding. So I got the lobby, so I got the lobby card of Phantom of the Opera, plus he signed the guitar. And then their Canadian rep for my, well, that was my 40th birthday was that show. So we got back to meet them and everything of that show. But my 50th birthday, I was presented with the coffee table book called Kistory. And it's a $400 book. Mm. And so Oliver Hamilton gives it to me. I open it up and inside in the inside of the sleeve, uh, two birds, thanks for being a fan always. It was signed by the original four, including Ace and Peter. Wow. Wow. And you could have knocked me over with a feather, but that was <laughs> the coolest thing from the show I ever saw in my life. And ironically, on Facebook, I've been putting up uh, old pictures of ticket stubs from Maple Leaf Gardens. And the first show I ever saw was Genesis, and it cost me $5.50 to see oh, Genesis geez. live at Maple Leaf Gardens. First time I saw Kiss was $7.70. And I remember in Toronto... The New Year's Eve show every year was Rush with Max Webster. And that was the two Toronto legendary bands of the 70s. And how dare they charge $12.50 for it. And I have that ticket stub. I put it today on Facebook. And people are like, you know, now, I think Cher was coming through Buffalo, and she was three fifty. For three fifty, you better pick me up and buy me dinner. <laughs> And, that, and again, like I'm just, I just love the music. I love the theatrics of a Kiss show. And again, you know, and the, and then out in Calgary, because again, I've interviewed Gene and Paul numerous times through the radio, and I remember sitting there in Calgary, and I had a bad knee, so I really didn't feel like standing up. And we were side stage. Back then, I was working with the Calgary Roughnecks in the National Cross League. So Gene gets on his little podium, and he starts yelling at me, "Get up!" I'm going, I'm fine. And he goes, get up. So I stood up, and I've got my Love Gun Tour satin shirt on. He gives me a little golf clap. And the kid next to me goes, you know him? I said, well, I've interviewed him a few times. He goes, why do you keep looking up? I said, well, you see that banner that says 2004? He goes, you're not Barks, are you? Can I buy you a beer? He's like, he was so thrilled that he met the announcer of the Roughneck. So Gene, Gene tossed the kid a pick, and it was like he gave him a million bucks. But, wow. yeah, I just, I just like the fact they put on a heck of a show. You know, and they're pushing, what, 62, 63 years old, and they're still doing it. Coming through this summer with Def Leppard as the opening act. Well, and uh, even though that was four years ago, I imagine that probably uh, once a week for every every one of these four years since then, you've called Ivar and thanked him for that for that book. That sounds like oh yeah, no, he and and the thing you know, I've turned him into a lacrosse fan, so I always get him into rock games. So and again, that it's the fun part. I always say yeah. I don't have a job. The day my my job becomes a job, I leave because I've been fortunate for thirty years to you know, work on the radio and, and, you know, have fun doing what I do. And I, and I love sports and I love music. So, well, uh, for the f performers that are listening that might experience one day joining up with a new band, uh, there are always as many failure stories as there are success stories. We have to talk, oh, heck, yeah. we have to talk about sticks who is still out there yep. doing their thing after all these years. And with your good friend, Larry Gowan as the front man. 
and and here's the thing: he's had a second life because in in Canada, in you know eighty five through eighty eight, you had the Gowan ban, yeah, and he had a hit with Criminal Mind and Strange Animal and Moonlight Desires and all these songs here. Then of course Dennis DeYoung leaves Sticks, and boom, he lands the gig with Sticks. And I keep and again we talked about you know time and space, and I said I keep calling him the new lead singer in Sticks, <laughs> just like well, Neil is still the Sticks new guy in Rush. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I said you know and I said you know he's been with Sticks now longer than Dennis DeYoung. Larry Gowan started in 1999, and you know I I found something for him. I promised him seven years ago. We had, uh, again, this is the uh, the sports aspect of it, Tubers. We had a thing called Donut Hockey. And it was the Gallon Brothers and a couple other guys, and they would play hockey. But we, one of the guys was the equipment manager for the Toronto Marlboros of the Ontario Hockey. So we got the use of Maple Leaf Gardens and the ice at 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, boy. So I was working for the CKO Radio Network then. So I found the VHS that... Jan Gowan, Larry's wife, shot with me doing the play-by-play. <laughs> and when he had a 25th anniversary album release with his DVD, I said, "We got to get this for the hit. next time you do a DVD. We'll get the donut hockey video for the you know the added features of the special features part of the DVD." Well, I found it about three weeks ago. Outstanding. So I called. I called him, and he said, "Oh, and so I've got it right now in the works to get it on DVD to send it to him." But again, you know, Sticks is a band where now you've got people bringing their kids and some of them are even bringing their grandkids to a stick show. I think they do about 270 to 280 shows a year. Mm. Um, So far since I've I've seen them in Red Deer, my 50th birthday party was, they played my birthday party in Great Falls, Montana. Um, Unfortunately, two years ago, my wife passed away suddenly and Larry couldn't make it to the funeral, but that night they were playing a show in Texas and he sent me the YouTube link, and they dedicated "Come Sail Away" to her. Wow! And, wow. and there wasn't a dry eye in the funeral parlor when I told that story. I'm sure. I'm and, sure. Because she, because she was, they were her band. And again, this is the thing where here's a guy from Toronto, who I think the other day he came back for a weekend because he had a some sort of festivity to attend, and he was there. And his uh, acquaintance was uh, Sarah Ferguson, the former Duchess of York from England. And mm-hmm. there's. You know, there she's there with Larry Gowan, and, and again, you know, puts on a heck of a show, and they still sell a lot of tickets. Well, and that's you know, that's an interesting case study in that, as I mentioned, there's going to be an artist out there that's listening, a performer that at some point is going to decide, you know, do I want to go join up with a new band instead? And and you're either going to turn out to be Larry Gowan, who's with Sticks for 15 years now, as you said, or you're going to be Dennis DeYoung, who said, uh, I'm, do- I'm doing well enough, I can go out on my own. And all of a sudden, it's like, Dennis who? Whatever happened to Dennis DeYoung? And then he's actually and he's actually going out under the name Dennis DeYoung sings the songs of Sticks. Yeah, yeah, which is which and that's is, like what used to bug me too about bands that have names that the say you know the drummer owns the name to a band. Yeah, yeah. and you're expecting the original singers and all that, and it just doesn't happen. Yeah, it's a reach. You know, like I, I think the Pride of Buffalo for a year or two was Mr. Big because of Billy Sheehan, right? Yep. Yep. Well, Bruce, I'll tell you, my friend, this has been uh, just as fun as, as I thought it was going to be, and I really appreciate you making the time to, to do this with me today. Thank you ever so much. 
Well, Bruce, of course, you know, again, I thank you from the bottom of my heart because if you hadn't invited me to that Bandits-Philadelphia uh, Wings game, I would have never seen the NLL. And I'm coming up on 200 career games at the first game of the 2015 season. So, you know, miss you a lot, pal. And thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. This was great. I will give a formal thank you to my guest, Bruce Barker. He is the sports director of the MyFM Radio Network, the voice of the Toronto Rock Pro Indoor Lacrosse Team at the Air Canada Centre, and just an all-around music man in the know and a great friend. Uh, Don't forget to visit www.nowhearthis.biz and sign up for the email newsletter there by simply putting in your email address. And of course, please do subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends about it. Give us a nice review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio too, and uh, hopefully a five-star rating along with that. That actually helps out quite a bit. Do appreciate when you do that. We have been recording this show at the great facilities at Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out online at www.cbpro.net. That's CB as in crystal blue. Thanks for listening. We'll send you out today with a song that Bruce mentioned. This is Strange Animal by Gowan.
But you're a stay-